do you guys carry parachutes? The voice was completely serious on the other end of the phone. It was a couple of days after Christmas, and I was working at Omega Sports during my uh, college um, Christmas break while in college. I'm sorry, do we, do we carry what? I asked just to make sure, you know, that I had heard him correctly. I got a gift card for Christmas, and I was wondering if you had any parachutes. No, I'm sorry, we do not, but we do have some really awesome running shoes, I said in my best salesman's voice. That had to be the strangest ask that I ever got working at a small running uh, and sporting goods store. The caller was looking for the wrong thing in our store. He was hoping to find something that simply was not there, something our store was just not designed to carry. I share that story because that's exactly how we often approach the first few pages of the Bible. And it comes from a desire uh, to read an ancient text as if its language is addressing our modern ideas and categories. When we look at the book of Genesis, and in particular, the narratives of creation, we, we often look for and want things from the text that simply are not there, that simply are not what the opening pages of the Bible were designed to provide. And then, of course, we stumble into all the resulting debates. We're bringing our language and our worldview to an ancient text written in a different language and with a different worldview. The first few chapters of Genesis are ambiguous about many of the things that we want to know. How long? When? How scientifically did it happen? The point is, we want to find parachutes. And the opening pages of Genesis is saying, I have some awesome running shoes. Not really, but the opening pages are saying, hey, let me introduce you to this beautiful, powerful, loving creative being called God, worthy of worship and trust into these complex creatures made in God's image. And like most well-written stories, within the first three or four pages, you are introduced to character traits and themes and ideas that are so important and that will repeat themselves throughout the rest of the story. This happens with movies too. It happens with songs. You'll hear a particular a phrase or melody in the beginning of a song that will repeat itself throughout. You can learn so much about who God is and about who we are in just the first couple of pages of the Bible. And there are things that will repeat themselves throughout Scripture. This is what the beginning of Genesis presents. Its primary purpose is not to describe the physical material process by which the universe came into being, but to address who are we? Where are we? Why are we here? Who is God? What's wrong? What's the solution? And so it seems only fitting that as the curtain rises... On a new year that we look at where the curtain rises for all of the biblical story, Genesis. As it begins to lay out, hey, this is God, this is us. 
And that's what we'll explore together over the next six weeks. Today, we begin with God as a loving creator who brings about order and beauty. Let's pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow us, and transform us so that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis, the very first chapter, verses 1 through 26. And I want you to listen to the repetition uh, and to the patterns here in this first chapter. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light, and so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. It was evening and it was morning the first day. God said, let there be a dome in the middle of the waters to separate the waters from each other. God made the dome and separated the waters under the dome from the waters above the dome, and it happened in that way. God named the dome sky. It was evening and it was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the sky come together into one place so that the dry land can appear. And that's what happened. God named the dry land earth, and he named the gathered waters seas. God saw how good it was. God said, let the earth grow plant life, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind throughout the earth. And that's what happened. The earth produced plant life, plants yielding seeds, each according to its kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds inside it, each according to its kind. God saw how good it was. It was evening and it was morning the third day. God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will mark events, sacred seasons, days, and years. They will be lights in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth. And that's what happened. God made the stars and the two great lights, the larger light to rule over the day and the smaller light to rule over the night. God put them in the dome of the sky to shine on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw how good it was. It was evening and it was morning the fourth day. God said, let the waters swarm with living things and let birds fly above the earth up in the dome of the sky. God created the great sea animals and all the tiny living things that swarm in its waters, each according to its kind, and all the winged birds, each according to its kind. God saw how good it was. Then God blessed them. Be fertile and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. It was evening and it was morning, the fifth day. God said, let the earth produce every kind of living thing, livestock, crawling things, and wildlife. And that's what happened. God made every kind of wildlife, every kind of livestock, every kind of creature that crawls on the ground. God saw how good it was. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. When Scripture introduces us to God, first introduces us to God, it doesn't offer us a definition, doesn't offer us a list of attributes, but an act. An act. And the very first action attributed to this being called God is creating. Creating. In the beginning, when God created, 
Notice that God is there, already there on the scene. No sense of God being created. Nothing coming before God, but God coming first. No beginning, no ending, just pure being existing eternally. God is a creator, the source of life, a generator of life. It is a foundational character trait of God. And the opening chapters of of Genesis describe a God who creates not by, by winding up a watch and letting it go, not a God who only knocks down the first domino, not a God who creates because God is forced to, but a God who speaks and utters breath, who orders chaos and nothingness to bring about beauty and life and then engages with it in delight. This is a God worthy of worship. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light and so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. These are are such amazing first few verses. Notice how the writer of Genesis characterizes things before this creator God gets to work. Dark, without shape, dark over the deep sea. For, for ancient peoples, this is how they tried to imagine the uncreated state of things. What we would call nothingness. Dark, chaotic, without form, not productive. Which makes sense because when you think, uh, which makes sense because think about the physical reality of the ocean for them back then. How vast, how dark, how chaotic, how mysterious. We, in the 21st century, we think of existence as matter coming into being. But they simply didn't have that concept. For them, existence meant ordered, productive, purposeful reality. For them, existence meant ordered, productive, purposeful reality. So this is how the writer of Genesis can explain God as creator. A being who brings things into existence by ordering chaos and giving them purpose. So right from the start, we see God where? Entering into the midst of the chaos, that uncreated state, that void with God's breath or God's wind or God's spirit. In Hebrew, it's ruach, and the word means all three, breath, wind, spirit. In other words, God's personal presence, creative presence, is hovering there in the midst of this darkness, and then God speaks. And what happens when we speak? But a little utterance of breath comes out. Try it. Hold your hand in front of you. Well, you got masks on. (laughs) I didn't think that through. But anyway, hypothetically, it's a little utterance of breath every time that you speak. So a little bit of God's personal presence accompanies God ordering the chaos and bringing forth something that is separate from God and yet in relationship with God. Let there be light. And there is light. Darkness is ordered, and there is light, and it's good. God then names the day and the night. And of course, when you name something, you create more order, because when you name something, you give it identity and purpose. This is God, 
a being personally present in the chaos to create by bringing about order and purpose. And throughout the rest of chapter 1, I don't know if you heard it, with each subsequent day, this pattern of God speaking, God separating, God ordering, God giving a name, God calling it good continues. Right? God says, let there be a dome in the middle of the waters to separate the waters from each other. Separate. God called the dome sky. God said, let the waters under the dome come together into one place so the dry land can appear. And that's what happened. And God named the dry land earth and he named the gathered waters seas. God saw how good it was. Over and over again we see this pattern. Through creating plants and animals and creeping things that crawl, God is ordering, God is speaking, God is naming, and God is calling it good. And so, a creation ordered and given beauty as it exists in relationship with God emerges. This is God. A being whose aim and design is beauty and flourishing. Now, for the Israelites, this depiction of of this creator God would have contrasted sharply with the gods of surrounding cultures. In the Egyptian creation story, the Egyptian creator is a tomb and and, and is depicted as this kind of unordered, uh, watery substance from which all things emerged. A tomb began to evolve and differentiate himself from his watery development onto a a primeval mound of dirt, and from there began a process of of self-development where he generates the rest of the Egyptian deities. Now, Genesis is clear, right? God doesn't emerge from the chaos. God doesn't evolve from the chaos. God is distinct from it. In the beginning, God created is a choice. God created as a choice. Not in the beginning God evolved from something, from the nothingness. No, God always was, always is, always shall be. God, in Genesis, is not the same as what God made. God brings creation into being through God's power and presence alone. God's creative activity sets up a relationship between God and what is not God. And so everything for the rest of Scripture must be understood within this context of a distinction between creator and creature. If the sun, moon, and stars and the oceans came about through the power of God alone, then they are not gods of themselves, but a part of what God made. In other words, this is God, distinct from what God made, but not distant. Distinct, but not distant. The repetition of God speaking, God uttering breath, God delighting, right, in what God made, reveal a God who must be fundamentally good and loving. God's good nature leads naturally to the creation of a universe in which such goodness can be fully expressed. When God speaks creation into being and pronounces it good, or in Hebrew, tov, as it should be, It means God is involved. It means God is experiencing what has been made and desires to to be with it. I've had the good fortune over the last couple of of weeks to eat some delicious meals. Maybe you too. Something inevitably happens at some point when I eat a delicious meal. I get lost in the meal. I quickly become so overwhelmed with the tastes, the flavors, the temperatures, the smells that even just for a few minutes, all I can do is just chew and make that face or or even say out loud, oh, that's good. 
The same thing happened as my oldest put together his Star Wars Legos that he got uh, for Christmas. It was this sense of delight and enjoyment as he saw what he made do what it was designed to do. Wow, this is awesome. This is so good. It's, it's working so well. This is the God of Genesis, except even more so with what God made. God's look sees the world as good. And because of the gaze with which God embraces the world and does not let go, we live. From the beginning, see, God is already turning toward, leaning in to what God has made. God isn't going to let go what God has made. God has turned toward it and accepted it right from the start. All of this creation narrative also stands over and against the Babylonian creation story, which is about a highly dysfunctional divine family engaged in a kind of uh, cosmic power struggle at the beginning of time. The god Marduk kills his nemesis Tiamat and then fillets her body in two, making the sky out of one half and the earth out of the other. Doesn't sound like Genesis, does it? Marduk claims the high throne. So again, this this is not the God introduced in in Genesis. God is not vying for control or power. Uh, The act of creating was a free, a free act of God. God was not in need. God was not under any compulsion. God was free to create. Isn't that how it's portrayed? I mean, God says, let there be light. And there is light. God said, let creeping things crawl. Creeping things crawl. It was purposeful, free, artistic. God brought things into existence, not because God had to, but because God wanted to. God speaks the cosmos into existence simply from the desire to bring others into God's eternal goodness. And because God God, uh, does not need anything, isn't battling for power or fame, the the only thing that can drive God's creative activity is who God is. Simply who God is free and and overflowing with love, a God worthy of trust, a God able to be trusted. And that's the point of the opening pages of Genesis, to summon forth our worship and trust, to introduce the answer to the ancient human question, who can I trust to make sense of this place? This wild and wonderful existence. Who can I trust to make sense of this place? God. God. This God. Who is a loving creator, personally present, orderer of chaos, generator of of beauty and potential. And these are the traits that will be on repeat for the rest of the biblical narrative. Over and over again. God bringing about order and beauty from chaos sounds a lot like the God of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. That's good news for us now, too, that this is a God who can take what is chaotic, seemingly out of control, veering towards darkness or nothingness, and bring forth life and order and beauty. God being personally present with God's creation? Sounds like a God who's close enough to hear the cry of His people enslaved in Egypt and deliver them to freedom. 
And that's good news for us now, too, that this is a loving creator who's personally present with God's creatures through, through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's breath within us, animating us. God naming things sounds a lot like the God who would call and name Abraham and give him a grand purpose. And that's good news for us now, too, that this is a God who who knows our name, who calls our name, who delights in us, and who gives us purpose. God has never stopped being this creator, God. God has never stopped creating. The claim is the same for us now as it was for those ancient peoples who read Genesis so long ago. Trust and worship the God who delights in and moves towards God's creation in love. Trust and worship the God who is personally present with creative power and potential in the chaos. Trust and worship the God who who brings about order and beauty. Trust and worship the God who is before all things and who holds all things together. Trust and worship this God. Trust the creator of heaven and earth precisely because God is the creator of heaven and earth. Do you have any parachutes? No. I said. Uh, Do you have any, any scientific explanations for how things got started? Genesis doesn't have an answer for that. But friends, as we begin a new year full of new opportunities and challenges and uncertainties, I'm I'm guessing that's not really what we want or need most anyway. No, Genesis, the beginning of the biblical story, has something so much better when when we humble ourselves. In a dramatic and beautiful curtain rise, Genesis says... This is God. This is God. A loving creator. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.